0: Lions fans, it's time for the podcast you've been waiting for, the show where Kool-Aid runs blue, faces turn red, and rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Daily DLP. I'm your host, Ash Thompson, and this week we are doing something that I will do three times this year. This is the Detroit Lions quarter post review. Hey, we hit 10,000 subscriptions yesterday. Thanks, folks. If you're enjoying the increased content level from the channel, please let us know by adding to that total. And if you really liked some of the content from different people, we've got regular content after all from Bischoff and Brown, the quick hits from Gray, the big show with Chris and Riz, and also this little daily thing that I'm doing, a little old me and poetic about football five or so times a week. Got all got different voices, and nobody's going to appeal to everyone. Like those folks' videos, if you like their content. Some people like what I do, some people tune into the premiere just to say that they don't. And I genuinely hope that those people are okay. So, use the shop links on the site to help us keep the hamster wheel spinning and consider joining the Slack, where recent changes have made it so I can block you, but I won't, I promise. And if you get shouted down for having a partially thought-out opinion that's been rejected ten times before you ever joined, please forgive the folks in there for being tired of getting Twitter hot takes regurgitated at them in a place where they came specifically to get away from that. If you come in looking for a fight, you're the only one there looking for it, but they will probably give you one. With that out of the way, let's get on to the review. We are four weeks in, and that marks the unofficial, since they switched to a much harder-to-divide 17 game season uh we're calling this the quarter point even if it's technically not until the end of the first quarter <laughs> of the next game um i'm gonna do a little run through on the health of the team in various aspects and uh, i've gone over some of the stats i have been to use previously but i'll go over them again quickly here because i know not everybody gets to listen to every single show uh if you haven't watched those episodes don't worry and if you did thanks i'll try not to digress too long just give you the like five second explanation of what all the various stats I'm using are. Uh, let's start with the offense. The Lions offense is ranked fifth in DVOA. What DVOA measures is how efficient each play is. That's been run towards getting a first down, which that is obviously the goal of every play is to build towards that. It's also weighted based on the quality of your opponent and how easy it is to do these things versus the specific team that you're playing. Uh, You can get a much longer and more in-depth description of that at ftnfantasy.com, because apparently that's where some of the football outsiders people ended up after that site died. So if nothing else, the fantasy football industry has given us a refuge for the analytics people. Please keep them all in the same room, screaming at each other forever. Essentially, what that stat tells you is as a percentage of how much more progress towards getting a first down each play is getting than an average play on that downing distance against that opponent. That's the idea. And the Lions are getting 18.4% more from each of their plays than their opponents would give up on average. And if you were to remove the opponent part of that equation from this category four weeks in, and I think probably having faced the Lions 25% of the time is probably skewing the number of what those defenses can reasonably be expected to give up. The Lions offense is very good. Uh, the Lions would be third in this category if the opponents were removed from the equation. Uh, the defense also ranked fifth in this stat, which measures the same thing except for the Lions opponents every week. So overall, that leaves the Lions at third, in combined total DVOA offense and defense, and, and special teams, but we'll get to that, maybe. On the balance, four games in, in that particular regard, on a play-by-play basis, the Detroit Lions are killing it, and that's part of why they're 3-1. So how are they doing that? Let's start with Jared Goff. I gave you four stats in a previous episode that I used to judge a quarterback's season, whether it was good or bad. Uh, Goff has the fourth highest yards per attempt. That's yards divided by number of passes thrown at 7.9. The only real concerning issue is that his adjusted air yards, which takes into account touchdowns and interceptions, is only 7.7. And that is a pretty big yard marker in terms of over the course of an entire season, whether someone played well or bad. If it's higher than the regular then it's good. If the adjustment takes it down, that means that the quarterback is having some issues. Uh, Bud Goff is top 10 in deep ball completion percentage. He's fourth among starting quarterbacks in air yard percentage of his total yards. Uh, he has the second most completions over 20 yards in the NFL. Uh, but if you go over 30 yards, he completely disappears on that list, dropping right down into the middle. The reason is because his depth of target on throws over 20 yards averages 25 yards, which there is only one other starter kind of hugging the marker that tightly, and that's Dak Prescott. At the other end of the spectrum, Jalen Hurts is averaging 34.6 yards per throw over 20 yards, leading the NFL, among players who have more than 10 pass attempts doing that on the season, that is. So... Goff is throwing a lot of deep balls and he is completing them, but they're not the moonshots you're thinking of when I say the word deep ball. And that fits what we've previously seen from Jared Goff. This is what he's good at. Those moonshots have not really been a part of his game on a regular basis at any point in his college or professional career. Well, how's Goff been doing under pressure? As per PFF, he's 10th among players who have started more than one game in his overall grade versus pressure. Uh, he's faced pressure at the 20th highest race rate among starting quarterbacks, but he's still in the top 10 among quarterbacks in big time throws under pressure. He's tied for 20th among quarterbacks in turnover worthy plays under pressure. So he hasn't been making the kinds of mistakes that triple you and like, I don't love the big time throw stat because I think most of the big time throws are the same decision making process as leads to a turnover worthy throw. Uh, it's just what happens at the other end is the difference, not what the quarterback did. If that makes sense, other than someone like Josh Allen is going to make a lot more of those than someone like no. Pick your guy who doesn't have Josh Allen's arm. That's almost every quarterback in the league. Uh, But, in this case, this year, both Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes have more turnover-worthy plays under pressure than Jared Goff does. So does Lamar Jackson. So does Jalen Hurts. So does Justin Herbert. As a percentage of throws under pressure, Goff has made a bad play less often than Tua, Brock, or Geno. Under pressure, Goff has the 5th highest completion percentage in the NFL this year, and Goff is top 10 in limiting the number of pressures that he has created by holding the ball too long or drifting out of the pocket. Only 8.8% of Goff's dropbacks have him doing anything to contribute to the pass rush's chance to get him down. For example, Jalen Hurts has a percentage of 31%, Russell Wilson 27.7%, and Daniel Jones 20% just to show you what bad looks like in this stat. How's he doing in play action? Well, he has the 17th most attempts in play action in the league and the 15th highest number of attempts overall. The Lions are not more reliant on play action passing than other teams as a percentage of the number of times that they throw the ball. Anyone who says something like that isn't watching this team and doesn't have an opinion worth listening to. Off is 11th among players who have started more than one game in average time to throw. All of that is still kind of undermined by one stat. Getting back to the reason that his adjusted yards per attempt is lower than his yards per attempt. The line of success, and this is almost universal, the only thing that's changed over the last 20 years is the percentage or the number of pass attempts total that a quarterback takes you need your quarterback's interception percentage to be under 2%, or 2% or lower. And that is a line that is indicative that they have had a successful 17 games. And right now, Goff's is 2.3. He's throwing a pick in three out of the four games. And with some players, their dynamic plus plays give you a little bit of leeway on that stat. Uh, Because someone like Josh Allen is going to throw 40-plus touchdowns a year So the fact that he's going to throw 15 to 20 interceptions is a little bit more palatable. Goff's not going to do that. He's not making up for it with his legs, Uh, but he is doubling his interception percentage. So he does have, he's maintaining that two to one ratio of touchdowns to interceptions that is absolutely 100% key In terms of whether a quarterback is good or not, because good quarterbacks find a way to do that, and bad quarterbacks don't. But this isn't really a massive issue for me going forward, uh, because again, it's a four-game sample size, it's relatively small, and he has limited the questionable decisions he's made under pressure. The main difference between Josh Allen's much higher percentage of (laughs) turnover-worthy plays is that Goffs have been caught and they've been turnovers, and that is a luck thing as much as anything else. Like we talk about regression to the mean, last year Goff had a lot of turnover-worthy throws that were dropped, and this year he has not had that same luck. It has gone the way we don't like, where something that was unreasonably good turns into something bad, even though the, the actual number of times that this is happening hasn't really changed. This year, all of his bad decisions are turnovers, and it will probably balance out by the end of the year. There's been a lot of discussion about the Lions receivers under Goff, and with Goff under pressure this year, they've really been helping him out. They haven't been credited with a single drop while Goff is under pressure, so when he needs to get rid of the ball, there's somebody there, they're catching the ball, whether it's perfect or not. Overall, they're right in the middle of the league with a 6.2% drop rate. Uh, but only three of those drops have come from the wide receivers. As per PFF, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, and Khalif Raymond all have grades over seventy-six on the year, which is a very good starting grade. Uh, for some reason, though, Marvin Jones, in his thirty-nine point nine, which I, I think we all probably agree is an accurate number on what you want a receiver to do, he's still get he's gotten more snaps than Khalif Raymond. And I mean, I talk about that every week. I'm not going to start complaining about it here. I'm not going to go deeply into why I think that's a bad idea. I think everybody who has watched all of these games would probably say that Cleve Raymond has had more impact on games than Marvin Jones. And just a couple of interesting things about the receivers that show up when you're looking at, at various stats. Uh, Ross St. Brown is always mentioned as a slot receiver, but he's actually split his time evenly this year between being a slot receiver and an outside receiver, as has Khalif Raymond. That's two guys that usually get put in that slot receiver bucket. They've kind of been going back and forth. Uh, St. Brown leads the team in yards per row run. Any statistic receiving that he leads the team in is not surprising, uh, but uh, Khalif Raymond Leads them in average depth per target, so being the fastest guy so far, he has been getting the deepest balls. All three of the Lions' starting receivers, and I'm just going to call Raymond the starting receiver because I don't know what Marvin Jones is doing, but it's not receiving. Uh, <laughs> all three of the starting receivers, Khalif Raymond, gonna St. Brown, Josh Reynolds. They're in that 24th to 35th range in terms of the number of targets over 20 yards that they have received. St. Brown has the 4th most catches in the league over 20 yards in the air. At 4, Raymond and Reynolds each have 3, and they're tied uh, 27th. Uh, Reynolds and St. Brown have each been targeted 8 times against man coverage. St. Brown is 7th in the league. With eight receptions versus man coverage, uh, Reynolds is 25th with five. Both done a pretty good job against man coverage. Uh, but Reynolds has the higher grade, which takes into account uh, what he does when he's not the primary read. He's not getting the ball all of the time, but he is winning his rep. Sam Laporta, by the way, has the third most targets among tight ends against man coverage, also with eight. So that tells you Jared Goff is spreading the ball around against man coverage. He has three guys who each have eight targets. Laporta has seven receptions, and he has more yards than any other tight end in the league against man coverage. Now, all of those guys have also been relatively successful against man coverage. It's not, if I get zone coverage, I should say it's not a problem. It's not an issue, but uh, it's just interesting that they rank so very highly against man coverage. So when the Lions are getting blitzed, there hasn't been a lot of pressure relative to the rest of the league. And the receivers are making plays pretty consistently. How about that offensive line? Uh, The pressures are coming from the left side, which I don't think is anything any of us would have predicted to start the year. Like with Taylor Decker battling injury and Panay playing out of position, it's not super surprising that left tackle has has been a bit of a problem. Uh, And by the way, this season's performance might make people who've been in that camp that we need to move Panay over to the left side at some point in his career, maybe... Like, stop. He has not done that well at any point when he's been given the opportunity as a pro. But the left tackle spot has been responsible for 20.6 of the pressures allowed. Part of that is that the other team's best pass rusher is going to be the guy on the right side the vast majority of the time. There are a few exceptions, but most of the time it's that guy facing the left tackle. Uh, More troubling is the left guard... Jonah Jackson has been responsible for 29.4 of the pressures. Like, that's a guy playing for a new contract here. And PFF's grades kind of match that. Uh, Jonah Jackson only has a 55.8 grade in in pass blocking. I'll admit that I had not seen that up to this point as a particular issue, but it's something that I am going to be looking at going forward. Uh, Overall, though, the Lions are go- on the good side of all of the pressure stats, so it's still it's twenty nine point four percent of something that isn't happening all that often, but it's just a concerning percentage. The rest of the line is is doing a better job. They're all in like single digit percentages on that, and then there's those eight eight point eight percent that golf is a little bit responsible for uh, in the run game, according to PFF. Who are really there's no stats for this all that much. Uh, so I'll just go with their grades, but uh, the lines offensive line has been better at zone blocking than gap blocking. Uh, not by much. It's just a slight variation. Uh, and only Taylor Decker has had anything that you could even remotely call like a bad year in either of those two categories. Like his gap blocking grade is in the forties. And that's kind of off for him, but like I said, he's been battling injuries. Now let's talk about the running backs in a real football context, not a fantasy football context. As an offense, the Lions are 8th in rushing yards. They're tied for 4th in touchdowns. They're 11th in yards before contact, 10th in yards after contact, and 1st in broken tackles, as well as the number of attempts per broken tackle. The Lions are breaking tackles at a rate of 1 every 7 carries. For context, the Colts have had a broken tackle every 57.5 carries. That's the other end of that spectrum. A normal number is somewhere between 13 to 15. Now, David Montgomery should be playing more than Jameer Gibbs. And the only number that says anything different than that is yards per carry, which I've gone over a few times why that stat doesn't provide really any context and is is a little bit misleading. Montgomery's PFF grades, outside of ball security specifically, paint a story of why the Lions are playing Montgomery more often. Basically, he's got a higher grade in virtually everything running the ball, uh, and Jameer Gibbs has a 15.6 pass blocking grade. Passing game, Jameer Gibbs has been a pylon in terms of whether or not he's preventing anybody from getting to Jared Koff, and he also has two PFF drops in the passing game. Now, for those of you wondering why I specify that, many folks out there citing drop stats are using sites whose scale is basically like, could any human being on the planet potentially have caught this ball? Okay, that guy didn't. That's a drop. PFF uses a scale of, was this a good throw? Because if it wasn't a good throw, this is not a drop. This is a bad throw. And it's because of that distinction that DFF's drop stats tend to be significantly lower than other companies' stats. And I think it's a more valid way to do this. Like, if the quarterback misses a guy's path by three yards on a 40-yard throw, that's on the quarterback. Maybe the guy contorts his body in a way where he gets two hands on the ball and someone else calls that a drop. But the fact is, he made a great play to even get to that spot and then just didn't come down with it. That's not a drop. That's a bad throw. I agree with PFF on this one. You can take it or leave. Your call. Feel free to be wrong. But a passing down back who can't block... And as a drop rate of almost 12%, that guy isn't going to get more snaps than he's already getting. But with that said, both of those players do have good ratings from PFF. Montgomery's is just better. And Montgomery's success rate, the stat I've gone over, that is another way of measuring whether a player is contributing towards that goal of getting a first down, given the down and distance he's being given the ball. Montgomery's success rate is 55.1%, and Gibbs is just 359 And that matches what we all saw against the Falcons when Gibbs was the feature back for a game. Whereas Montgomery is a decisive and violent runner in that role up the middle, Gibbs was hesitant. Not terminally hesitant, he still played reasonably well, but on 3rd and 1, is there a single question in your mind about which of those two guys you would want to give the ball? I didn't think so. Montgomery's also recording a higher yards per reception than Gibbs, but it's only on three catches, so I don't really think that means anything. Though Gibbs, on a much higher number of catches, is recording a painfully low per reception number. And this has gone longer than I thought it was going to by a lot. So I'm going to do the defense tomorrow, and I'll just compress the Panthers preview into a single episode. Because, frankly, there's not really a whole lot of interesting things to say about the Panthers anyway, particularly on offense, because when a team has a rookie quarterback, there never is. Uh, Except the Colts. That's a much more interesting topic, and I kind of wish the Lions played them so that I could talk about Anthony Richardson. Oh, well, see you tomorrow when I'll go over the Lions' defense and how they've done in the first four games. Let's bring it in here together. Let's go. go, baby! Lives on three! One, two, three! You've had enough of that shit.